But uh, breaking news, China invades the Taiwan because surfing. Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and we've got a great week in store for you. It's just going to be Buck and myself this week talking about everything that happened in surfing, starting with the Vans US Open. I'm here in Huntington right now. We're producing a show called The Pickup, which you may have seen on Stab Premium or even YouTube or Instagram. Episode 2 just went live, and episode 3 will be going live on Monday. That will be the final episode, and in other news... The Chinese storm is coming. This is a story that will blow your mind, truly. Like, I I was shocked when I read and saw how fast these surfers were getting good. It's actually kind of terrifying and infuriating. Uh, So we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about the WSLs pulling out of a Challenger Series event and what that means and why it is also really annoying and frustrating. And last but not least, Peace, Love, and Mung Beans, Seven Things I Learned from Mick Fanning. This is a story by Ethan Davis who, you know, he really slogged it out. He had to bring a set of fins all the way from Australia to the Maldives and then, you know, had to sit through 10 days at a seven-star resort and hang out with Mick Fanning every day. And these are the seven things that he learned from Mick. Last but not least, we'll have a surf sin, which Buck and I feel very differently about. So, uh, yeah, you're just going to have to listen and see which side you fall on. Without further ado, let's bring the big dick power surfer himself to discuss everything that happened in surfing this week. I did want to ask you, did anybody relate to your your Bible verse from the book of Maxim Hushna? Uh no. You know, interestingly enough, it seems as though the you know, the average Huntington Beecher hadn't really brushed up on that section. I think that they kind of focus more on the like one line that says something about gay people and um yeah, I think that's about it. Okay, I mean, I know that's really, that's their thing, for sure. But, like, the U.S. Open has been there forever, it feels like. I mean, at least for the past 15 years, right? Maxime Huchno has probably been there all 15 of those years. For them to have no idea what he's doing, I mean, that's just that's just lazy. Um, and I'm offended by that. As a Frenchman. As a uh, Portuguese, if my appointment goes well next week. But if you don't know what Mike and I are talking about, he did, it's a great tradition around the U.S. Open to try to spread the word of God by yelling at people and telling them all they're going to hell. It's great. I love that about Huntington. Uh, he went out there with the Maxime Huchno sign, and uh, did you tell anybody you're going to hell? Uh, no, I didn't, but I do plan on bringing the Houston back out for finals day, because you can see, you know, I, I go to the beach, but it's a little bit sparse on the crowd. I really want to get in the thick of it, so um, I'm going to wait to spread my gospel until the most ears are around me. Okay, well, let's go right into it. Let's talk. Let's talk. The pickup Vans US Open. Does the Huntington hop actually work? So we're investigating a lot of things. We're investigating how people respond to the Book of Snow, and... I'd have to think you were behind this one. This was a feature in the first episode of the pickup this year, and, and I'd have to think you mastermind getting a physicist to talk about the what's driving the Heinen hop. Were you? Well, uh, I can't say I was behind the physicist idea, but I was behind the Huntington hop idea because one of you know Huntington, the real staples of this community, are doing your own research. So we decided to put that on to Harry Bryant and Dylan Graves, who are our two of our hosts for the show. And yeah, we tried to actually scientifically figure out if the Huntington Hop is a functional tool to achieve the end of getting to that illustrious end section on the beach. How do you think it went? I mean, 
the answer is pretty cut and dry, is it not? We we got the scientists to explain how it really comes from um, this wonderful technique called gunwale bobbing, and then we put it into practice. We did an S-turn versus Huntington Hop sort of surf off between Harry and Dylan, and um, yeah, I don't think there's any confusion left over. Yeah, well, uh, that clip, I mean, the whole episode is amazing, but the footage of people doing the Huntington Hop on, what do you call them, gunboats or something? <laughs> Gu- whale boats? <laughs> These people, they're trying to kill whales, and they're doing the hind and hop. I, that just blew my mind. It was so bizarre looking, and yet it's, it's one of those things that's exactly what we do, but when you take it out of our context where you think it's kind of cool or whatever, it just looks so weird, and that jarred me. That jarred me. I mean, I thought the S-turn versus hop thing was cool, but the, the footage of people trying to kill the whales with their hopping around, that was, that was bizarre. That's kind of that was part of the first episode, and you know we've been talking about it on social and all that, and then the event starts, and you told me you ditched your board the morning that it started. I asked you other ways where you said I ditched, and I the I when the webcast came on, I understood immediately. <laughs> Multiple times I ditched my board. <laughs> yeah, that was um, that was not a quintessential Huntington Beach experience, but it was novel and beautiful in its own way. Yeah, well, I've been loving watching it, like. It's just, it's kind of funny watching people have to surf waves that are just really, really hard. Like, they'd show clips of people paddling, and it just looked like they're in a river. It looked like a proper, not an exaggeration, just a pretty steadily flowing river. Like, you could have had a mill there. You could have absolutely had a mill going that day. (laughs) Well, we actually, so you referenced the first episode of The Pickup. The second episode is live as of the time that this podcast is live. And in the bunker, I actually get into that a little bit. So... We did the math and an average lap from like where you paddle out to where you get in the lineup to then where you either surf through and get to the pier and then come in and do the runaround. The average surfer in this event was doing 2.5 runarounds per heat. So when you measure all of that, they're covering more than a mile of running, paddling and surfing within a heat. And I mean, some surfers like Julian Wilson literally came in with four minutes left. He was like clutching his thighs. He couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> William Cardoso was so tired. He literally retired from surfing. <laughs> this be, will be my last year in the, in the challenge series. <laughs> <laughs> he confused. I mean, that's like a second language that you'd easily confuse tired and retired. I don't blame the guy. <laughs> and then Joel Chianca, who to your point, he, he had two of the hardest heats of the entire year against John Florence. He put up excellent heat totals and still lost. Said this was the hardest heat of his life. That was like one of the hardest like heats I ever served. Yeah, how ironic was that? I couldn't believe when he said that and I was just like immediately went to the heats he had against John at Pipe and Bells and was like, you know, but I believed him. At the same time, I was like, yeah, no, I saw what you just went through. Like that that looked kind of harder. (laughs) So that's obviously what's been going on on the competition side of the pickup, which is always covered in the bunker. But this next episode, the one that we just put out, is like there's so much good stuff in it as well. So if you want to know what's going on sort of around the whole thing, including a session at the Wedge with Harry and Dylan, um, a really good session in Newport Beach, which happened concurrently with the U.S. Open. That was, I mean... Yeah, pretty wild, actually, how good that little wave gets on certain swells. And, yeah, there's there's tons of good stuff in this next episode, so go ahead and tune in. Tune in, folks. Plenty of good stuff coming. The $3 million Chinese storm. 
So this story is a deep dive into China's Olympic surf program, and it is wild. Like, I knew absolutely none of this. I guess I heard rumors about China taking surfing seriously, but they're just kind of these far-fetched things about about just, I'm going to just say it, forcing kids into it, which uh, this story doesn't <laughs> confirm or deny that exactly, but it does break down how exactly their program works, and it is wild. So they, and remember, this is a country that didn't have much surf history. They had like little hubs, but they weren't a big surfing nation before that. They've set up eight regional teams, which all have up to 70 surfers. Out of that pool of hundreds, 40 go on the national A team, 40 on the national B team. And once you're at that level, you are paid by the Chinese government to surf. You're just looked after. You surf six hours a day, and then you do your studying and all that. And you texted me, Mikey, after you read this and said, imagine having to surf six hours a day in China. I would quit. (laughs) (laughs) Would you take that job? Well, part of this, too, is that they do, like, 500 board orders, and, you know, they get good boards. They get sharp eyes and stuff. And, like, I haven't had a sharp eye in a while, so I guess. I don't know. The hardest thing would just be getting yelled at the whole time, I think. (laughs) Okay, well, this whole story, one, blew my mind, and two, it really pissed me off. Because, as you said, you know, China has this, or at least kind of rumored to have this whole strategy where they take kids and just bring them. It's like, you're a ping pong player now. You are a skier. You are a um, volleyball player. And then they just make it happen. Well, exactly. Would you rather Would you rather fucking ski or play volleyball all day? <laughs> I ping pong? Like, these kids got lucky in that regard. But I got, okay, so but for some reason, like, and this is how deluded and, like, self- grandiose surfers are like i really did think surfing was different that you couldn't just take (laughs) someone and and give them equipment and give them coaching and make them do it six hours a day and like make them a good surfer but they're kind of doing it there's this one kid who like had didn't surf four years ago and now i watched him he's there's a video of him in this article and he could easily beat me in a heat and that pisses me off. yeah he's got us he's got us he would have gotten fifth in that heat against jackson not sixth (laughs) So, yeah, one, this it sort of pisses me off. Um, on the other hand, it's crazy to think, like, how quickly this could develop. Because it's one thing to take people who are already, you know, they're probably starting kids at, like, 10 and 12 and 14 because they need people who would even be viable to compete in, like, the ISA World Games and the Olympics. But if they start pulling out five- and six-year-olds and starting them at that age, even with this sort of subpar surf in China... It just seems inevitable that they are going to actually breed a super surfer. Yeah, and this story also goes into wave pools there because uh, I remember it was a it was a great point when footage came out of a wave pool in China that looked like they just saw the Kelly Slater wave go and went, "Oh, what do you got there? A little train that pulls the thing along? <laughs> Let's see what we can do." <laughs> it just that is it, peak China. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was just. That exactly, and it worked, and I guess it worked until it stopped working, because apparently that thing, nobody's heard anything of it. Even the, we talked to the the guy who runs the surf team for this piece, and he said that they haven't been there, they've got no talk of it, but he's optimistic that pools will be in China in the coming years, and that will take this whole thing to another level. Like, imagine that level of focus and training applied to I mean, six hours a day, in a wave pool at that intensity is 
is wild. Yeah, and so as you said earlier, this entire thing stems from surfing's Olympic inclusion, right? That's the only reason that the Chinese government is pouring millions of dollars into this, you know, surfing movement in China. But the other way that they could get someone into the Olympics, and it would presumably be a lot faster, is to basically get somebody to transfer over to, you know, a Chinese thing like Aaron Brooks did to Canada, Jesse Mendez did to Italy. And when I was racking my brain, I was like, I was like, huh, who has Chinese lineage? Mason and Coco Ho. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good point. Could they, like they could easily go to well I, I i'd have to look into the actual rules because i don't know how much lineage you have to have how many like generations back or whatever but their dad i believe is 50 percent chinese or maybe a quarter which makes them either a quarter or you know 12 percent or whatever I, yeah i don't know we'd have to look into this but imagine if mason and coco ho just you know ditched their hawaiian nationality started surfing for china well one thing it's not gonna be you because you already said that you'd lose to heat and that one kid so you're off the team <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But what what would you do with Mason Ho in that sort of regiment? Like <laughs> that would be amazing. And you don't think he's gonna Britney Griner himself? <laughs> okay, on the Britney Griner point, um, you've probably heard about the whole like China Taiwan thing in the news recently. Basically, Taiwan wants to remain an independent nation. China believes that Taiwan belongs to them. It's basically the same thing as Ukraine and Russia. But China just hasn't really made a move yet. And I hate to say it, but I really think that the Chinese fascination with surfing is going to be the last straw, like the thing that just Ooh. actually makes them invade Taiwan, because Taiwan has way better waves than China. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the you know coming weeks or months, China actually makes its military move on Taiwan. Everyone's going to blame it on the whole Nancy Pelosi thing. But in reality, it's going to be all based around surfing. That makes perfect sense to me. You heard it here first. And I do want to say that the Chinese Communist Party has been a longtime supporter of this program. So shout out to them. <laughs> but uh, breaking news, that China invades the Taiwan because surfing. WSL says, no senyos for you. Wow. Just... Just this one stings. This is close to my heart, even though my heart is about a thousand kilometers away. This is almost as bad as the Huntington Beach people not knowing who Maxime Houston was. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. But all of a sudden, a CS event, even though they're up 400,000%, goes missing. This was announced late last week, and it's sad. It's sad to see a CS just disappear. What I think is the weirdest thing is that, or the, kind of the most inconvenient thing is that they have to, the CS servers have to go all the way to Portugal now and then not go to France. Like that used to be this nice long leg and I think people really enjoyed it and it's so much better to have, to cut costs and you have two events in the same part of the world than one. But now they have to fly all the way from Huntington to Europe to Brazil. So a bit of a triangle there to go back to Hawaii and it's a big deal. What are your thoughts, Mikey? I mean, you alluded to it earlier, but so the WSL's official statement was, we are disappointed to announce the cancellation of the Challenger Series event in Hasegar. We were unable to secure the appropriate support to make the event financially sustainable, which is weird because one, they had a headline sponsor. I, I won't purport to know exactly how the financials of that all work out, like, you know, what percentage of an event's cost the headline sponsor covers. But yeah, it, it just seems so crazy to me that 
what, a month ago, Eric Logan was going around doing an interview with the same exact interview with 4,000 different publications talking about like how incredible the WSL is doing, the viewership's up, the money is up, and then they go and they cancel an event with a headline sponsor. It's like, how? And then at the same time, you look at the US Open, the first two days don't even have webcast coverage, which that can also only be a financial decision. And I know that we're, you know, quote unquote, heading into a recession and people are making more conservative decisions with money. But this is just a really bad look for the WSL. And it probably, like you said, it's put a lot of individual surfers in a bad position where they likely, a lot of them already probably like had Airbnbs and stuff, which on that point, do you think we should like somehow get in a group chat with all of the CS surfers and find out how many of them got Airbnbs and like try to pay them half price for them and do some big party at, in France in October? Oh, I think just good luck negotiating with these French people when you tell them that uh, I'm not getting your Airbnb anymore. You're just going to get yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> or we can have a party. <laughs> I do have some intel, and I'll be honest, like the details are murky. So not everything I'm saying is exactly a fact. It's just kind of what I've heard, and I know some people. But from what I gather, the cost to be a headline sponsor of these things is about 250k. I don't know how much they cost around. Um, I also know that tourism, a tourism board in the area was chipping in. And from what I gather, again, was that a deal was signed, right? Like I think I think it was supposed to be, I know the WSL like to negotiate in three-year deals, but then COVID happened, and then there's been the mid-year cut, so I think it kind of changed their whole way of operating. And so now I think a bunch of deals have been renegotiated as things go on. And from what I heard, they pretty much just started asking for more money. Maybe in a, an amount was agreed upon, the WCL said, oh, actually, it's going to be this amount. And people said, oh, actually, fuck off. And with, like you said, with it being a shaky financial environment right now, people were kind of okay to just say, okay, yeah, I guess I'm not going to spend all that money right now. But from what I heard, it sounded like a deal was in place because it's we're getting close to it, right? It was, it was a month, two months out. And so deal in place, hey, can we have more money? No. And then no. I know that it was a big thing to, it was important to both the brands that were sponsoring it and the tourism board to have it as a CT event. Like I think if it's a CT event, they would have stepped up and paid, but it's kind of in that awkward to have it at that time of year where it's always been, it's kind of weird. Like that's, I think what the tourism board would want. They wouldn't want it in the middle of the winter because it just wouldn't be that many people there. And with the way the CT works right now, you can't have a CT event that time of year. So it's in this kind of weird limbo and it'll be really interesting to see what will happen because there's a lot of history there and it's a sick event and to see it just kind of potentially disappear because people can't agree and because these changes, it's, it'd be a real bummer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, meanwhile, of course the, the U S open seems like it's never going to die, but it is crazy. Like, you know, so they're, whatever, they don't do the webcast for the first two days, you know, waves were small and it wasn't, it was obviously the early rounds of the competition. But at the same time, you have somebody like the Alani brothers down there doing a pirate stream, which is providing basically just more promotion for their event. And then they go and shut that down. Like, I don't know, there's just some really interesting decisions being made at the top level of the WSL around all this stuff. 
There really is. And with these kind of whispers that I got, they came with the impression that the WSL isn't in a great place right now, which, I mean, if you look at what Eric Logan did, which is go to every publication and try to get everybody talking about how good it's doing, that was probably a pretty strategic move, right? Like, he probably... Why else would they want to talk about all that other than to try to create some sort of image and get it looked at in a different way? But who are they trying to fool? Like, they are backed by, like, a billionaire benefactor, right? So it's not as if they're trying to convince their, quote-unquote, investors that they're, like, doing better than they are. So I I don't even see who that serves. Like, if the truth is that they're struggling, I I don't know why it makes sense to go out and lie about that. And I don't think they would. Like, I, I... at least to some degree, believe that what Eric was purporting is the truth. Like, you know, statistics are often very misleading, but I don't think that he went out there and flat out lied about it. He probably just chose the ones that best suited, you know, made them look the best. But I just, I don't see the, what the agenda would be when ultimately, like, they have to just report this stuff back to a single person who at the end of the day decides if he wants to continue paying for it or not. Yeah, well, I think it's just the difference between, like, Eric Logan saying, hey, I, maybe we're still not making money, but this is the best financial place the league has ever been in. And Eric Logan and 4,000 media outlets saying, this is the best place the league has ever been in. You know, maybe it's just a, like, and I know that, you know, some of Ziff's level is probably smarter to see through it, but I still think it's not a bad thing when you're trying to pretty much sell something to keep something afloat. Anyway, no France. Yes, U.S. Open, and the CS, down to seven events, only four count. Yeah, or, you know what? Solutions. I'm a solutions guy. Every event can be in El Salvador. They got they got a left there, too. <laughs> Isn't there, like, a shitty little left across the channel from that one? They could just do, like, the ISA ran both things. They'll just, every event will be there for, <laughs> if they, <laughs> this is what the surf industry is going to look like in 2023. <laughs> Peace, love, and mung beans. Seven things I learned from Mick Fanning. So, this is the small price that you pay for being a uh, a Finn smuggler. Ethan Davis wrote this, who you may remember, he, he gave us a nice voice note for this program before. And he went on the electric acid surfboard test with Mick Fanning. Got to just hang out with Mick and like rub sunscreen all over him all day, every day. Very jealous. But he walked away with seven lessons, and I'm not sure if all of them are really lessons, because the first one, Peace, Love, Mung Beans, is kind of like a, a weird song lyric. It's not even part of the song. It's like a, a, a intro into the song. It must be stopped at all costs, or there will be dire consequences. Report back when you reach Sector 7. Yes, sir. Peace, Love, and Mung Beans, baby. Over and out. Peace, Love, and Mung Beans, sir. Over and out. But he learned that from Mick, and it's a good saying, I guess. Yeah, well, I was kind of confused because he, he explained what a mung bean was, but he didn't explain what the saying meant. So I'm still kind of floating in limbo on that one. But there were some other good ones in here, and I don't think we should give them all away because I think people should read the story if they want all of them. But a couple of my favorites include packing fins in your board bag. Um, generally, you'd think like, you know, fins are sort of like a hard object. You wouldn't necessarily want them with your boards when they're getting thrown around by baggage handlers. But it's always like fins are always like the hardest thing to find. Like you can kind of always find a leash somewhere. You can always find even a surfboard. But yeah, fins are one that just always seem to be missing. And so, yeah, if you keep a fin with your board bag, you know that at least if your boards make it, you're going to be able to surf. That was your one, huh? 
That was your takeaway. I don't know. I always put my fins in my board bag. I just figured for that thing, they probably had 400 fins because FCS and it needed its own case. My one, and it's not even a takeaway because I'm not going to do it, but I want to talk to you about it. Is it the leash string one? Yeah, you knew I was yeah. going there. You knew this, You knew where we were going here, Mikey. Come on. Don't play coy. <laughs> always tie your leash string to your leash, not your board. I just flat out disagree. <laughs> yeah, I have a trouble. Well, okay, I get it from a logical standpoint. It does make sense because that means that any time that you are going surfing and you have a leash that you're going to be able to connect it to your surfboard versus if you just have a leash and a surfboard and you're basically praying that a leash string is sitting in, you know, in the little crux. But if you hang out with people like Buck or Donovan Frankenreiter, <laughs> there's a good chance that that's not going to be the case. <laughs> little tangent here, little tangent. Um, when we were in Hawaii this year and I bought that Pang, first time I went to surf it, no leash string. Had a leash though. I guess if I had a leash string on that leash, all problems would have been solved. But no, I had to solve the problem. So uh, my wife had these sandals that she kept complaining about. They said they hurt her feet real bad. She bought them for like five bucks, so I wasn't too worried about it offending her too bad. But they were leather, and I just looked at these things. Every time she put them on, she said it was like painful. So I said, okay, like I think I can get a leash string out of this. And so I kind of had to like rip out these this leather part of this sandal to get a leash string going and then it worked but i was like i'll just do it for a session then i'll do a real one because it's pretty thin right i've left it since then since january and then it finally broke the other day and i was like surfing away that was really far out in front of some cliffs and i just remember in that moment i felt like i'd been wronged in some way <laughs> i had to like check myself and i had to because like, i was like how is this how that was my first wave i think that's why i was so mad but I felt like the universe had conspired against me there and had to just kind of slap myself in. No, 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 no. This, you are an asshole. So I guess mixed trick would have saved me there. But like, what am I supposed to have as many leashes? I have surfboards. Am I supposed to just do the tie thing every time I'm changing boards? Like, I, I just don't really get it in practice. Yeah, that means that you'd basically have to walk around with a fin key in your pocket at all times, which I do, but I don't think other people do. Because there's, I mean, trying to feed that, soft freaking string through that little tiny funnel it's just it's not gonna work yeah yeah so we'll leave that up to you folks take it leave it the read the rest there's some good stuff in there you get to see mix stretching routine it's not him doing it it's some beefcake but hey maybe that's your thing <laughs> yeah so seven tips or other things i learned from mick fanning go get them yes and keep an eye out also the east is coming it's coming up late august into early september you'll be watching the results of him having all his leash strings tied to his boards and his stretching etc and it's going to be a dues and if you want to get a first look at the boards in this year's east you can do that now on the website we did things a little bit differently this year buck where instead of just having a shaper you know produce a board and whatever we actually had 12 shapers and they collaborated so we ended up with six different surfboards each produced by two shapers and we're not going to tell you who the shapers are yet but that will be coming in yeah i guess the next couple weeks keep an eye out folks it's going to be a fun time all right it is surfs in time we've got jasper here and it's a relatable one most of them are this one will relate, maybe not to everybody, but to some. He just kind of takes it to a new level, and things get weird quickly. 
G'day gents, Jasper here, got a surf sin to confess. So a couple years ago, me and my partner were traveling around Southeast Asia for six months. I had a bit of a drought of surfing and I was stinging to get in the water. So by the time we got to Thailand and I saw a fun little kind of like two to three foot beachy, little bit junky, I was frothing to get out there nonetheless. Um, there was a guy hiring boards out on the beach. He just had like soft tops and it's the most dingo boards you've ever seen. Uh, but there was these two kind of like freshies that looked half decent. Um, and I said, oh, can I borrow one of these? And he sort of just said no. And then we were back and forth for a little bit. And they ended up being his boards. And uh, I was trying to plead and convince him that I could actually surf. And he was just worried I was going to ding it or wreck his board. I told him I'd pay if I did and that I was from the Gold Coast and could actually surf. Um, even though I'm from Noosa, but I just assumed you may know the Gold Coast because it's a bit of a surfing mecca, as you know. Um, so I go out and I haven't surfed. I'm a bit rusty, but nonetheless, do a couple cheese whizzes, few reverses, maybe a little couple turns and whatnot. And surf for about an hour and a half. And the guys, by the end of it, there's like a small crowd. They've called their mates. The boys on the beach are just losing it frothing I guess they haven't don't get too many surfers who can really even do a Rio go, go through there um, yeah and I'm like kind of can hear them like cheering and clapping when I do like a little air or a little reverse or something um, come in and they sort of bombard me and I just kind of frothing out just like saying oh you pro surfer you pro surfer and, and I'm sort of just playing along with it and um, yeah before I get out of there they're asking me to, he wants me to sign his board. And I signed his board like I'm some sort of pro surfer when I'm just a bloody Joe Blow from Noosa Heads. And I feel it'd be like a bit of a Barney and a bit of a kook about that. Um, but I enjoyed it at the time, so that's a bit of a sin. Um, and then to top it off, he asked me what I thought of his board and I begin to tell him that it's a bit clunky and the rails are a bit too rolled and it's too thick in the tail and then he said oh I shaped it and then I also felt pretty bad about that thanks boys give me my penance oh god I I might sound like a prick here but I hate the feeling of people being excited about your surfing ability it just it just feels weird like i just strangers like when you don't feel like you're surfing good really or you just feel like you're kind of surfing like trying to have fun and, and somebody is like very very excited about it you don't really know how to handle it i'm like because you're not excited about it you're just like oh okay like i just this is what i do for fun and i didn't really think anything good happened there but somebody's really excited because they just haven't seen that before there i i'm sure you've had that happen have you not I have, and, and you're dead wrong. It's the greatest thing in the world. No. It's the greatest, Buck. There's nothing better than going, especially like like in New Jersey, right? You go out and, you know, the average summertime person that's like on the beach or even like surfing in the water is not very high. And so you go out and you feel just like a god, just floating around, kind of like cruising over sections, doing whatever you want. People are looking over their shoulder like, oh, who is that guy? And it's incredible. So I think for me, Jasper's sin is not just setting up camp and building a life in this place. I think he should have just 
locked in and just been a local surf hero. Oh, well, it's one thing if people are in the water doing that, people like actually on surfboards, but it's another thing when it's like, like maybe two weeks ago here, I got stopped by somebody with a camera that was trying to show me pictures of myself surfing and asking if I have an Instagram where I post all my photos of me surfing. Like, and I just, I just get uncomfortable. I don't know. It's like when somebody with no surf experience, which is, oh, I guess he did because he shaped the board. But I don't know. I think it's a very uncomfortable thing. It's one thing when it comes from like a, a person that you really respect or even another surfer. But when it's like a kind of a weird, it just makes me feel bizarre. Um, another thing I can relate to is barring surfboards because that is a fun interaction. I do that a lot and it's always very weird. My wife hates it. I love it. Just going to a beach and having to kind of like try to tell somebody that you could surf, but they have no idea. Um, it's always so fun. It's the most fun when, like it happens a lot if I just like go to the beach and I don't bring a board because it's one foot and then I'm like, oh shit, it's one foot. I kind of want to surf and I have to like try to borrow a softy from somebody. And so they really have no idea to tell like if what this psychopath's going to do. I, I love it. Um, so I can relate to that. What's your go-to line? Like how do you try to convince someone that you're a good surfer? I just say I've surfed my whole life. Like, I, I'm just, I was just say five minutes, like three waves. I just want to, I just want to go get a few. I'm sorry. I didn't bring my board. I, 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 can I just take yours for five minutes? Always works. I've never been denied. Um, probably done it 10 times in my life, probably more. So Jasper, I feel you, but you sinned. You definitely sinned. And telling the guy that uh, just the board <laughs> thing that you had no way of knowing Jasper, but that one stinks. That one didn't feel good, did it? <laughs> Especially after it's like it's so it's such like a double burn because in that guy's eyes he just went out and ripped super hard on the yeah, thing too. Yeah. And so you're basically coming in and saying like not only was that like yeah not a good session for me but also this board is terrible. And we've all I'm sure everybody's been in that situation before whether it was like with food somebody cooked and you're like oh this is like not that good huh and they're like oh yeah i i made that yeah yeah i think so <laughs> i've never had it with a surfboard um, but i yeah the food one that's a really good analogy or even just something like you know that you wrote or produced like for stab like people will say something not knowing that you had a major hand yeah, in that yeah, and it's just yeah uh, it, it's just such a sinking feeling but you never also know how to respond to it because it's, it's like awkward for both parties oh somehow. yeah yeah and then it's it's worse when it's addressed because they're like oh no i mean it was like good <laughs> and you just no um one more story before we get to the penances when i was at quicksilver there was a story i didn't witness it but my friend told me it where like a Somebody that was on the surf team got a job at some part of the brand. And basically there was a new employee at that time as well. That wasn't just like the, the old, the guy that was like, you know, used to be on tour or whatever. And so my buddy decided to fuck with everybody and tell the old pro surfer that was working there that the new hire was like a big fan and wanted an autograph, but was too embarrassed to ask. And so <laughs> homie's just like, oh, yeah, that's that's fine. Like, no big deal. Like, And so goes up and kind of signs something and, like, gives it to him. Like, heard you were kind of asking, and it was just these two grown men in, like, a really awkward exchange of, like, are you fucking with me or what's happening? And my buddy's just in the corner kind of laughing hysterically as his plan worked perfectly. 
Uh, so remind me of that too, which is just a brilliant move. Uh, nice job, Matt. But penance time, penance time. What do you got? So yeah, I think this one's pretty straightforward. Jasper's from the Gold Coast. He's a goofy foot. I think he just needs to go left only for 10 days. You think that's a, a penance for a goofy foot? On the Gold Coast? Yeah, there's that one into the... You sit at the top of Rainbow Bay, and there's the one you get a ramp sometimes. <laughs> the Nat Young Peak? Yeah, what do you... What, you just want the guy to surf D-Bot every day? I don't get it. D-Bot's not the Gold Coast. Okay, this, this rule. Okay. No, that'd be... I guess, I guess, if, if he likes going backside, to me, that's a blessing. But um, since he lives on the Gold Coast, as you said, uh, unless the WSL decides to put the... Oh, no, he said he was from Noosa, actually, though. No. He said... He said Gold Coast, didn't he? He said they would recognize Gold Coast, but he was actually Noosa. Oh. But, well, doesn't the same thing kind of apply in Noosa? Sure. Yeah. I think he should go right only for... 10 days, 10 weeks. <laughs> All right. No, I don't. What I what I do think is that he should he needs to go to a professional surf event and have somebody sign his board. Um because I think it's like kind of like a stolen velour situation where you know, he's out here doing the hot laps on the beach where I think if you make a CT, you have the right to sign an autograph even if you're a wild card if you're in a ct contest you've earned the right to to sign an autograph as a surfer i don't think you do if if that's not the case there's very few people who have not surfed a ct that i think deserve to sign an autograph as a surfer so he, he needs to go to one of those get an autograph and it has to be on his surfboard um he has to live with it surf on it until that board dies so that's what i'm going to suggest for you jasper that's beautiful yeah it's it reminds me of the the gopro nose mount thing that we talked about before and somebody actually sent me a photo this week of sean white rocking one of those on his boards and it's just it's just such the immediate sign of the kook and it's so beautiful and i think the autograph is maybe even a step beyond that yeah yeah i know hopefully he gets a nice big one who do you think uh, he should get i mean he's got to get on the jackson train we're still gonna yes. be there we're still gonna be there we made the mid-year cut we got we got more events in us, so go the Jackson train. All right, thank you, Buck, and thank you as always to everyone who submits their surf sins. If you want to send yours in, you can hit us at Michael at stabmag.com or Buck at stabmag.com. And our goal is to get to all of them. We've we've got a sin bin piling up, but I promise you we will work our way through them. And in the meantime, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. I think Stacy G is going to come on. We're going to talk about the end of the U.S. Open, who wins that, and going into Tahiti. Uh, we're going to have some great storylines there as far as top five is concerned. We're going to have some stats to let you know who may or may not do really well there. We'll make some predictions, some bets with betonline.ig, and everything else. So with that, uh, over and out.